Well, I hope you had a great time at uh, at Christmas. We uh, we got to gather with our family. My parents came down for uh, for a couple of days. Tracy's parents uh, came down, and um, as you know, I love Christmas. Everything went down yesterday. I I went to the uh, to the funeral and served and came home and and everything was gone and it was just like you know just that feeling of bleakness walking in the house and and um it's uh we were talking last night about how bare uh the the house looked and you know I love christmas had a great time with my family but this year i i had a particularly good time with 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 isabella uh she's She's at that age where she understands, but she's still young enough where gifts are really exciting, and she hasn't learned, you know, to be a stick in the mud like us old people where we don't want to show it because people will think we're dumb. So she just, she just, whatever she thinks, she she lets it out. She's been she's been walking around the house uh, uh, in a princess dress for about three days. We got it off of her to. To, to come to church this morning. And there's glitter everywhere. If you see glitter on me, it's because we have glitter everywhere in our house. That's, that's for sure. We don't have a set way of, uh, uh, of doing Christmas, but we usually place the gifts, uh, gift wraps, gifts that are wrapped under the tree and and it's there for everybody to, to see. And, and, of course, that builds the anticipation uh, you'll you'll find people at times when nobody's around, you know, looking. Is there anything new added, and whose whose name is on is on which uh, you know which package? And then and then whenever it comes time to open, we'll open at different different phases. Like when my family comes, when hers come, when when we do it as a family, we divide the gifts, and and each person makes a pile, and. And then we either open one gift at a time, or we watch everyone open, you know, open their pile. As I said, we do it we do it different ways. What's consistent is the gifts are wrapped; they go under the tree. People's name is on it, and then we make a pile whenever it comes time to, uh, you know, to, you know, to open. And this year, once the pile was made, we we let Bella go first, uh, you know, because of anticipation and obviously we we just enjoyed you know watching her i mean it's really hard if you're two to see a pile of gifts with your with your name on them and and then have to wait to you know to to open them to see what's inside i mean she knew they were hers we told her they were hers and uh and she enjoyed every minute of it and and, and so did we did you know that the bible describes the the return of Christ for us in a in a similar way. We know the Lord is coming, and we know that that He's promised good things for us. The Bible tells us we're heirs in Christ. This world's not our home. This is not where where our I mean, there are good things in this life, but this is not where our treasure is. Our, our treasure is in is is in heaven, and the gifts that God has for us are already ours. They're they're, they're, they're ours as if, as if we already received them. We just haven't re- received them yet. They're, they're under the, the eternal tree, per se. They're, they're in heaven. And as you read the Bible, as you grow in Christ, you, you learn how many gifts you, you, actually, you actually have. How many gifts have your name on them? And you begin to understand all of the, all of the amazing doctrines of, of the Bible. And 
It just goes beyond more than being saved from hell, which if that wasn't gift enough that you're saved from hell and get to go to heaven. And we anticipate the day, at least we're supposed to anticipate the day, in which we, we open gifts. The Bible describes salvation like coming to Christ like a little child. The Bible tells us that we are to, our hearts are, are supposed to be pure before, before the Lord. Eternal joy. Won't that be amazing to open that gift one day? You know, no depression, no sadness, never even a scant feeling of blue. And, and that will be yours in, in, in heaven. It will be impossible to feel any way other than that. As to where today we, we have to fight to, you know, to, to, to place our joy in Christ with all of the different things that, that come in our lives. A new body. Won't that be a wonderful gift to, to unwrap? No pain, not even a single limitation. Jesus' very presence. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, as the song says. As Betty had said, and we said yesterday at the funeral, Brother Claude got to open his presence in heaven this year. But our heavenly Christmas hasn't come yet. We're here. We're stuck here. He's the winner. We're the loser, at least at, at this point. So how are you supposed to live in, in anticipation? With the, with the pile of gifts there under the tree, and the longer you're a believer... You you know they're there. You know they're coming. You know that they're that that they're going to be yours. The more that you sit under the word, the more you read the Bible, the the more is added to the pile. You realize how precious your salvation is, and and yet you have to wait to to open those. Well, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew twenty five this morning, and hear the words of Christ as he tells his disciples about. This very thing. Now, he doesn't use the analogy of Christmas or presents under a tree, but, but he uses other everyday analogies, parables, to describe, to teach how we're supposed to live. As Christians, we all know that Christ is returning. We, we read about it this morning. We sing about it all the time, but we don't always live like it, do we? Well, that's not to beat us up. It's, it's the Bible tells us the reason that passages of Scripture are written about setting our affections on heavenly things and not on the earth is because God understands and knows that, that in life it's, you have to be continually reminded of that. You have to be intentional about that. Your heart does drift away. That's the reason God tells us that He understands our frame and, and it is but dust and He's a merciful God and, and, and he, he gets it. So He writes to us. We know that, that Christ is coming, but we don't always live like it. The presents are under the heavenly tree. Our names are on them, but we don't live like Bella waiting to open our gifts. And Jesus here responds to the question of his disciples about how long until, until the kingdom comes. And he gives us some guidance as we wait for, for his return. Our, our text is going to be Matthew 25 but I wanted to pick up the context. I want you to look back in Matthew 24, verse 3. The disciples asked Jesus to explain when He's going to return and how they'll know beforehand. You know this is called the Olivet Discourse. Verse 3. Now as He sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? There's the time component. When? 
And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? How will we know? When is this going to... When are you going to return? When's the kingdom going to come? When are we going to get the blessings of the kingdom, the gifts of the kingdom? This is still on their hearts even at the ascension. You remember? They asked Jesus when he's getting ready to go into heaven, is, is now the time? Is the kingdom coming now? And what does he say? It's not for you to be worried about whether now is the time. You have work to do. You're to be witnesses of me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the, of the earth. So when and how will we know? How will we know? Now, what will the signs be? We want to make sure we're ready whenever the kingdom comes. We want the kingdom to come now. We want the gifts now. And, and we want to know how to make sure we're ready. We want to... We want to know. And so Jesus answers their questions in, in Matthew 24. And the summary is found in verse 44, Matthew 24, 44. I mean, you can summarize everything Jesus says. He, he talks about the, the, the coming of the Son of Man. And in verse 44, he says, Be ready. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you, you do not expect. The Son of Man is coming. And you're not going to get any warning, per se, whenever He comes. He told them that the coming of Christ is going to be immediate. It's not going to be phased in. Um, Jesus doesn't come by process of evolution. He's going to come. Whether you're ready for Him to come or not, it's going to be universal. It's not just going to come to one little group over here or... You know, or the Mormons are going to know about it, and everybody else is not going to know about it, or the Russellites, or the Jehovah's Witness, or the whoever, whatever other cults that's claimed that Christ has, has come. It's going to be universal. Every eye will see Him. It's going to be like lightning. It's going to be from one end of the heavens to the other. Everyone will know. You won't have to guess. And it's going to be unexpected. And they not need not to be concerned about the timing, but... But how they're to live until he comes. And in Matthew 25, he gives two parables, very familiar. One is the parable of the ten virgins, and one's the parable of the talents. You, you learn them in Sunday school. But he, he gives these everyday stories, just like I started with the story of, of Isabella at Christmas. He gives these everyday stories to teach the disciples and us about living between the first and second coming. Christmas we celebrated the coming of Christ, the incarnation, the virgin birth. The Savior is come. He's born. And the death, burial, and resurrection has happened, and Jesus has went back to be with the Father. He's descended into heaven, and He's told us He's coming again. But, but now we're in these days in which we wait for the coming of Christ. When is He coming? I have no idea. What will the signs be of His coming? Well, you can see the signs that are there, but you may read the tea leaves wrong, as they, as they say. There will be signs, but you don't know when. When He comes, it's going to be immediate. It's going to be universal. You'll know it. Everyone will know it. And He's going to come at an unexpected time. He gives us the idea. He says it's going to be just like it is in the days of Noah. You'll be eating and drinking and marrying. The life is going to be going on as normal. And he's going to come. It's not going to be like a big announcement, you know, let's count down the days, like the ball dropping on New Year's Eve, you know. 
10, 9, 8, Jesus is here, you know. He's giving you the warning now ahead of time. He's coming. Be ready for, for His coming. And He's coming in, a, in an unexpected way. And He gives these two parables to us and the disciples to tell us how we're to live and, and how we're to respond to that. And there's a parable about, about great anticipation and, and there's, a, there's a parable about, about what you should be doing with what God has has given you to do in the kingdom. You watch with expectancy, you watch with anticipation, and you work with potency. And we'll see the latter part tonight. I mean, we all believe that Jesus will return. I mean, we know that's what the Bible says. And we know that He could return today. But really the question that Jesus confronts the disciples with, just like they believe those two things, He confronts them and us with, are we, are we really living like? Do our decisions, our activities, do our lives match the, the anticipation of, of the unwrapping of gifts? Are we prepared or are we unprepared for, for that day? And it's really easy to, to, to test yourself. Just ask yourself, if, 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 if Christ returned today, would you be ready? I mean, you know He's going to come. But if He would return today... Are you ready? Would you be satisfied with how you're living this very moment, with, 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 with what you've been able to do, how you're serving the Lord? Would you be satisfied with that? And if I asked myself both of those questions, I would answer, I would answer no. I mean, just frankly, I would say, no, I'm not satisfied. And that's one of the reasons why I like new years and new beginnings and new starts, because you can say, you know what, I can't do anything about the past, but I can do something about now and the and the future. If you knew that he was coming today, you know he's coming. If you knew he was coming today, if there was a ten nine eight ball drop, would you make some changes? Well, this passage you're going to look at is going to show us how to be properly prepared for the master's return whenever that happens. So we're going to cover the parable of the of the ten virgins the, the this morning we're going to see two insights on how to be properly prepared for the for the master's return we're to be watching with saving faith that's the parable of the ten virgins and we're to be working with a serving life that's going to be the parable of of the talent so two parables, two points to the sermon. We're to be watching with saving faith. We'll cover that this morning. And we're to be working with a serving life. So how do you do that? Jesus gives this parable to teach us, to illustrate for us. Let's read chapter 25, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels and with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at the midnight cry, and at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. That was what they heard. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, No, lest we 
should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. He passed by. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore. Watch with saving faith. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And in verse 14, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling into a far country. Just two parables to illustrate how you're to live between the first and second coming. Here's the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents. The five wise virgins represent watching with saving faith, those who are prepared. And the two faithful slaves in the second parable represent working with a, with a serving life. Christ wants us to be wants us to be like watching like bridesmaids who are prepared for Christ's return. He wants us to be the working servants the Master finds faithful when He returns. Let's look at this watching with saving faith. Look at saving faith. Look at verse 1. So the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet. Now a parable, as I said, uses a common occurrence or part of of life to teach, uh, usually a single point. Sometimes we get wrapped up in all of the details, but, but it's just to communicate typically a single point. And, the, and, and if it's to be more than a single point, then, then the parable itself will, will, will tell us. And usually the point's found at the end of the story, and you can find it in verse 13. There's a, the normal story is a wedding. And the point of the parable is found in verse 13. Watch, therefore... That's the point. Watch, for you don't know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. That's why He gave the parable. That's what He wants us to, to get. And Jesus uses the story. Ten bridesmaids who were part of a wedding party, and immediately we're told that five are wise and five are foolish. We don't have to guess. We don't have to interpret who were the good guys in the story, who were the bad guys, who were the wise and who were the foolish. Jesus gives the diagnosis right here, doesn't He? Verse 2, five of them were wise and five of them were, were foolish. Places the problem right up front. And then he tells us why. Why they were wise and why they were foolish. Look at verse 3. Those who were foolish took their lamps but took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. He teaches us why they're called wise and why they're called foolish. How can I earn the title of wise? That's what I want to know from this parable. Or, or how can I avoid the camp of the foolish? While the bridegroom tarried, they, they fell asleep. Verse 5, But while the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered and, and slept. And then at midnight, in the middle of the night, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to, to meet him. Now, now, that's the story's setting. Weddings are a big deal. They're a big deal today. We have a number of them coming up um, in our church. We've had a number this 
past year. But in Jewish life, in, in, in this day and time, it was the greatest single event that a village participated in. I mean, they went to synagogue, they, they had the Sabbath or Shabbat, they, that was a big deal for the family, it was a big deal to gather at the synagogue, but the social world revolved around these, these types of, of gatherings. And, and the greatest single occasion in society was, was a wedding. Everybody got involved. Family, friends, extended family, everybody. It was a time of happiness. It was a time of, of celebration. And that's the scene that you have here. A typical wedding ceremony. The wedding would begin at the bride's house. The groom would come from his house to the bride's house, and he would typically come with his groomsmen. So he would come with part of the wedding party, and he would come to the bride's house to get the bride. And then he would lead her back to his house, and there would be a big wedding procession. Usually it was, it was back at his father's house. The wedding party would follow, and, the, and they would follow back to the, to the bride's house. And if it was a night wedding, they would have torches, and it would be a beautiful sight. I mean, you know what it's like going out in the where there's not a lot of city lights around. I mean, you see the stars. I mean, there's there's, there's no electricity during this time, so so they have they have these these lamps, these torches, and it would have been beautiful. And the, the ten virgins here are bridesmaids. They're part of the of the bride's wedding party, and they they each had a purpose, and, and they're waiting for the wedding party to come along. They're waiting for, for the groom and his groomsmen to come to get the bride so they can all go back to the celebration, which would be at the father's house. The groom would go to the, go to the, the, the wife-to-be's house and bring her back to, to his house, and then they would have a big feast, and it would be a, it'd be a great celebration. And, and for whatever reason, they're waiting, and it takes a long time. We're not told why it takes a, takes a long time. But all ten of them fall asleep, both the wise and the foolish. They, they both fall asleep. And whenever the party finally arrives, they're, they're startled. Look at verse 6. It's at midnight. It's in the middle of the night. The cry was heard, Behold! And that's what would happen. When the, when the groom would get to the bride's house, he would announce. He would have some verbal announcement on the way some way to make noise, some way somebody would shout. Usually whenever the groom got to the bride's house, somebody, one of his wedding party would blow the shofar, would blow a horn. It would announce to the bride, get ready, he's here, he's coming, and you're getting ready to go. And, and, and there was this announcement, and, and the bridesmaids were, were asleep. And all ten of them were asleep. And they're startled. Verse 7 says, all the, all the bridesmaids, all the virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. That just simply means they prepared them for, for light. Now, a lamp was, was more like a torch. It's not the same word here that's used in Matthew 5.15 where, where it says a man must take his lamp and hide it under a bushel. It's not a little, little oil lamp, like an Aladdin oil lamp, you know, with, with a little light. That's not, that's not the word that's used here. It's the word that was used in the Gospel of John for the Roman soldiers bringing torches to come and get Jesus. This is, the, this, is a, this is a torch. It would have been something on a long wooden pole. And on top of that pole, there was, there was some kind of, of, 
of mesh or of, of apparatus, and inside of that would have been would have been cloth, and that cloth would have been soaked in oil, and they would have lit it. They would have would have lit it. And, and obviously, if you've ever tried to do that, if if you're a kid, and Jared, don't try to do this at home, but if you would if you put any type of, 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 of oil on, on a piece of cloth, it will burn for a period of time, but it will only burn until the oil has gone, right? And then you've got to put more oil on it. And that's exactly what you, you have in, in this situation. They would carry a little flask of oil. If they are going to burn it for any length of time, they would have to, to re-add the oil to, the, to, this, to this torch so they could keep it lit as long as, as necessary. The torches weren't just for light. There's, there's a reason that, that these ten virgins or ten bridesmaids have these, have these lamps. Like today, in our weddings, the, the, the bridesmaids carry, they carry flowers. I mean, it's, you know, the, the groomsmen wear boutonnieres. You, you know that they're part of the wedding party. It's kind of like their, their identifier. Here, the torch was, was an identifier. The bridesmaids had it. People who were part of the wedding party had this torch. It showed them that they belonged to the wedding party. And they brought their torches along to, to light the way when the bridegroom finally came. So, all of this happens. And they trim their lamps in verse 7. And the wise carried a flask of oil, and the fools had no oil. When they got to the groom's house, the celebration was going to begin. So, so the, the foolish realized that they don't have enough oil, and they asked the wise, give me some of your oil. Give me some, put some oil on my torch. And they're saying, we only have enough for us to get from here to there, so you've got to go buy some. So they run off to buy some, and, and the wedding party comes, and the bridesmaids fall in. And they would have gone to the father's house. When they go to the father's house, the doors would be would be shut. The wedding couple would would go into the special room prepared for them. They'd consummate the marriage, and everybody in the wedding party would 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 party. They would have a great time on the outside, but the doors would be would be shut on the bride and the groom, and and on the party, the wedding party its, itself. Have you ever showed up for a wedding late? Yeah, some wives are sitting there going like this to their husbands. Yeah, I remember that time. I was so embarrassed whenever that happened. You ever gone to a wedding whenever it's late? And you get there after it's already started, and you have ushers there for the purpose of people that show up late. They shut the doors, and they say, no, the ceremony has already started. We're sorry, you can't go in. You can listen to it out here in the foyer, but you can't be inside. And if you miss that, I mean, you want to be inside. You, you got dressed up to come. You want to be there. You want to sit inside to watch the vows and be part of it. And you look through the little window in the church and everybody's in there and they're watching and, and you know if you're the husband that's made the wife late, you're in trouble after this deal is, is over. It's the same thing. They arrive to the, to the celebration late and the doors are shut. The party has started. The celebration is beginning in... And they have to watch from outside the house. They can hear, but they can't participate. Now, if you can't see the symbolism in this, you're, you're not paying attention. You're asleep this morning. 
And the theme of the parable is very simple in the context of, of the Olivet Discourse. It's meant to teach us that Jesus is, is coming and He's the bridegroom. and He's coming for His bride, the church. And, and when He comes... He's going to come to judge sinners and reward the righteous. He's going to have two purposes whenever He comes. He's coming sudden. Behold, the bridegroom comes. It's going to be at an hour where nobody is expecting it. They're asleep and it's at the midnight hour and and everyone should be prepared because afterwards, after the celebration starts, there's not going to be any second chances. Many people will arrive at the door They may knock and try to get in, but the door will be shut. Verse 10. And when they went to buy, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, to the celebration, and the door was shut. The day of opportunity will have come and gone. And Jesus is teaching us, between his first and second coming, you should be watching. You should be watching and you should be watching with saving faith. He will judge and reward. You've got to be prepared. There are no second chances. That's what what he is saying. Look at verse 12. Watch, therefore. Hear the words of the parable. You understand a wedding. Look at how this wedding unfolds. Watch, therefore. Don't be in this situation. Don't be... The five foolish be the five wise. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. You know the bridegroom's coming. You're ready. You've got your torch. You're there. But you don't know when. You don't know when. And if you don't know Christ, you should be ready. Don't be foolish. Don't be unprepared. For the Christian, though, this should create a great sense of of anticipation. You should get excited when you read this because of what it says to us, what awaits us at Christ's coming. And the Jewish Jewish marriage had three elements. There was was an engagement period. And that was typically done between between the fathers. Uh, long before this scene, there was an engagement between whoever this bride and whoever this groom was. It was an official contract between two fathers. The days of engagement were made early on. And engagement could be broken. It's not betrothal. Very first, promise. A promise could be broken. The second stage of the wedding was the betrothal period. And that was a contract. That was the real deal. That's like what you read in the Christmas story where Joseph finds Mary with child and, and, and he's a just man so he doesn't want to give her a writ of divorcement. I mean, during the betrothal period, divorce happened because it was a, it was a legal binding contract and the, the couple would come together. Now it's not just parents involved. Now it's, it's the couple involved and... And it would be a big deal. Family and friends would be there, vows and covenants, binding promises. The man would come and here's what I'll promise to do, would promise for the bride, and she would then partake of something, usually a cup of wine or something like that, as, as an acceptance. Yes, I will marry this. I will marry this man. 
At that point, they were officially married. In fact, if the husband died during the betrothal period, the wife was considered a widow, even though she never lived with the man and the marriage was never consummated. It was a, it was a marriage. It was initial engagement. The children then made their vows to each other. They were binding. And then it could be up to a year before you see this, this happen here. And what happened between the betrothal and the actual bridegroom coming for the bride is the, is the, the bridegroom, the husband, would go away to prepare for marriage. He would typically go back to his father's house to prepare a place for his bride. They'd build a room onto the house. He would build his own house. They would do, do something to prepare for marriage. And, and that usually lasted about a year's period of, of time. Purchase land, whatever it was. And so there was a period of time for him to prepare his home, to prepare his life for her. And at the end of the time, he would, he would, go, and he would go get her. And she would become his own and they would... They would live together. That's the third phase that you see here. Those first two have happened, and the third phase is what you see here. You know if Jesus is your Savior. You know whether you are His or not. You know, based upon the Bible, that the Father, long before you ever even thought of Jesus, engaged you to the Son... And there came a moment in time in your life where you heard the promises of Christ. I Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Call upon me, and I will save you. You heard the promises, and you received those promises. You made your vows. Yes, I believe. Yes, I repent. And Jesus has gone away, and, and we're waiting the day in which He will return for us to take us back to the to the father's to the father's house. It, it, put yourself in the in, in real life situation with a marriage like this. Can you imagine that there the anticipation in the heart of the bride and the bridegroom? You imagine the anticipation. Uh, a year or more has passed between they've they've made the contract. They're married, but they they haven't lived together. They haven't sat on the couch together. They haven't hugged. They haven't kissed. They haven't done anything. And the day is coming in which the bridegroom, the groom is going to go get the bride. The day is coming in which he's going to go and, and the, 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 the bride's making herself ready, the bridegroom's making himself ready, and the days are ticking down. Now, now, while we don't know when the ball is going to drop and Jesus is going to come, the, the Father does. And the Father in the wedding, usually said, it's time. Okay, you've prepared enough. Go get your bride. And you can imagine the anticipation whenever it would be in his heart and in her heart whenever she would hear the shofar. And then the, the wedding feast and the celebration itself as, as he comes to her house, all the bridesmaids... All the men that are there, he collects his bride and her maids and they go off with torches and they parade through the street and the joy that was there. It's finally come to that. Everything is, everything is ready. 
You've exchanged your vows. Christ has laid down His life for you and you received His sacrifice. And now you're between the second and third stage of the wedding. He's gone away to prepare a place for you, just as He says in John 14. And He'll come again Himself to receive you. And that's what we're waiting on. We're waiting for the bridegroom to come. To come and get us. And when He comes, we're to be watching with anticipation. And when He comes, we'll go to the Father's house. And we'll have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it will be an amazing thing. That's how we're to live. Now, if you thought of the Lord's coming like that, like a like a bride who had already been married and was waiting on her groom to come so she could be with him, do you think that that would change the way that you live? Do you think that that would, that would cause you to live with, with anticipation? That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples here. I would say you'd watch with anticipation. You'd watch and you would be prepared. Can you imagine what it would be like if you were a bride and you didn't make any preparations whatsoever? The day came, like in our society with a ceremony, everything's kind of done that, that one day. You've got the marriage and the reception. The bride got out of bed that morning. She didn't make, put her makeup on, didn't do her hair. Nothing was prepared at all. And all of a sudden, the groom comes knocking on the door. He's in his tux. He's all decked out. He's excited, ready to go. He's got the rings in his pocket. She comes to the door, curlers in her hair. Yeah, what do you want? It's the day. Today's the day. Come on. We're, we're, we're going to the wedding chapel. We're, we're going to get married. And she says, now, well, let me brush my teeth first, I guess, you know. That's how we live sometimes, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is the bridegroom in this picture. He's coming with the torches. He's coming with anticipation to get his bride to church. He's not going, oh, all right, it's time. i got to go get to church and bring him back to heaven. He is excited about living with you. He's excited to come for you. And you're to anticipate his coming. You're to be ready for his coming. You're to be prepared. You're to be watching with saving faith. You're to be the five wise bridesmaids that are there, that are prepared, that whenever the bridegroom comes, you're ready. Because if you're the five foolish and you don't have any additional oil for your lamps, you've never been born again. There won't be any second chances. You won't be able to participate in the celebration. The bridegroom will come, they'll enter, and you won't get a second chance. You live with that level of anticipation. My prayer after I read this yesterday and the day before is that the Lord would, would rekindle my desire to see Jesus come. Are you prepared? Do you know Christ? Are you one of the wise or the foolish? Are you waiting on Christ to come as the anticipated bridegroom? Or will He come to you as a judge? Watch, therefore. 
for you neither know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Let you bow your heads. As in that analogy, it's not a matter of of whether the groom is willing to receive you. It's a matter of whether you're willing to come to Him. Will you repent and believe? He's coming and you don't want to hear the door was shut. You want to be part of the of the wedding party. Father, as we just reminded of things that we already know, we pray, Lord, that you would give us tender hearts. We pray, Father, that that even as you, you taught your disciples in this prayer, they're they're in the midst of Passover week, in this Olivet discourse in the Mount of Olives, they're just so many things flying through their minds. A couple million people in Jerusalem. And here you are with them in, in an olive grove. And they're asking questions about, about when and what's it going to look like. And, and you just take them back to what they need to hear. Lord, you've taken us this morning to what we need to hear. And we confess we are just like your disciples. We're so easily distracted by all the things that are around us. Our hearts are so easily hardened. We are so easy. And we plead for your mercy. We we need you, Lord. We need you to be gracious to us. We need you to be faithful even though we're faithless. We, We need you to give us tender hearts. We need you to take your word and sink it deep in our hearts. If it was up to us, Lord, we... We can just hear this message and move on. Sink it deep in our hearts. Do the work that only your Holy Spirit can do. Do your work in me, Lord. Help us to rekindle the expectancy, the anticipation of eternity. Take our eyes off the stuff that we have here and put our eyes on Christ all the things that easily distract us. And Father, for those who are unprepared, I pray pray that they would come repent and believe. And I ask it all in Jesus' name.